Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host, as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. Bagoon. Well, normally, because this is the intro, I talk about all the other things that I'm not going to be talking about and then segue my way into the topic of the day. But here's the thing. Right now, in the state of New England, the only thing that every single person is talking about is the Celtics defeating the Washington Wizards and moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And most notably, they are talking about one thing, one man, and it is something that most people were very surprised about. The best player in Game 7, the most pivotal player in Game 7 for either team. Was it John Wall? No, because the Celtics won. Was it Isaiah Thomas? No. Was it Al Horford? No, it was not. Maybe Avery Bradley, who was the best player in Games 5 and 6 for the Celtics in their series against the Chicago Bulls. Was it Avery Bradley? No, it was not the Tacoma Twins. It was not Al Horford. It was the man from north of the border, Kelly O'Linick. That's right. Our topic of the day is none other than Mr. Awkward Offense himself, Kelly O'Linick. Now, there were so many people that saw the game from Kelly O'Linick and thought, my, go- uh, my goodness, how in the world did he come up with this? This is an absolute shock. Well, there's one guy who called it about 20, uh, 21 hours, actually. About to say 24, but it was actually 21 hours before the start of Game 7, and that was Greeny from Barstool Sports. Dan Greenberg on Twitter, it's Stool Greeny. This guy said, at 11.01 p.m. on May 14th, remember, Game 7 was May 15th, but he said at 11.01 on May 14th, this is the exact quote from his tweet. Feel like Olenek is going to have a P.J. Brown 2008 Game 7 performance. Okay, so one, Green is actually wrong in so far as what Kelly Olynyk did in Game 7 against the Washington Wizards was far and above and beyond what P.J. Brown did. Now, for those of you that do not remember the P.J. Brown game, the Celtics were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavaliers had made the finals the previous season and gotten shellacked, but the Celtics were playing the Cavaliers the first season of the new and improved Big Three for the Celtics with Paul Pierce, with Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen. But they're in a dogfight against the Cavaliers. Game seven, and it's going back and forth and back and forth. P.J. Brown, in that game seven, put up 10 points. He was 4 of 4 from the floor, was 2 of 2 from the line, and 6 of his 10 points were in the final quarter, none more important than when he knocked down about a 15, 17-footer with the shot clock. I believe it was at seven seconds, but he knocks down with the game 89-88 in favor of the Celtics. He knocks down a 15, 17-footer with the shot clock winding down, puts the Celtics up by three with less than 80 seconds to go. Next time down the court, the Cavaliers, a.k.a. LeBron James, 
drive to the ba- uh, to the basket, and P.J. Brown bothers him enough so that James misses it. The Celtics get the rebound, and for all intents and purposes, the game is then over. So P.J. Brown hits the biggest bucket in the game for the Celtics and then comes up with the biggest stop in the game for the Celtics. So what is a P.J. Brown game? A P.J. Brown game is when somebody comes off of the bench to really swing the momentum of the game and comes up with the type of performance that almost nobody can see coming. So, Greeny, Dan Greenberg, calls out 21 hours before the start of the Celtics game against the Washington Wizards, calls out that he thinks Kelly Olynyk is going to have a P.J. Brown game. And what happens? Kelly Olynyk has the best P.J. Brown game in the history of bench players. It's unbelievable what Kelly Olynyk did. 26 points in 28 minutes. He missed just four shots from the floor. He was 10 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3. In other words, the only shots that Olenek missed in the entire game were three-pointers. Everything from inside of the three-point line, Olenek was perfect, perfect, 8 for 8 from the floor inside of the three-point area, and his 2 for 6 performance from 3 was pretty darn good as well because of when those three-pointers came. And we'll talk a little bit more about when exactly he hit his biggest shot of the game in his biggest performance of his career. It was just, it was a performance that unless you had watched the Celtics the entire season, you you would have never thought that Kelly Olynyk or really anybody on the bench was going to come through in the way that he did. But it wasn't just how good he was in Game 7. You have to look at the previous game and just how bad the Celtics were, and in particular the bench was in that game for the Celtics to really wrap your head around the magnitude and just the ability of Olenek and the rest of the Celtics to come through when it mattered, the bench in particular, in that Game 7 performance. Remember, if you go back to the Game 6 where John Wall won the game for the Wizards with, quite frankly, a stupid shot. I equate John Wall's three ball, the pull-up three, um, with the clock winding down against the Celtics to win game six, kind of like Matt Ryan's pass to Julio Jones. In Super Bowl 51, Eric Rowe has perfect defensive position on Julio Jones. He is draped all over him, legally so. Matt Ryan sees Rowe is in perfect position, and he still throws the ball. It is a stupid throw. Julio Jones makes a fantastic catch. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it was a bad throw. In fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. It was one of the best throws I have ever seen. But if you look at the film and you see what Matt Ryan saw, it doesn't make any sense that he would make that pass. You can say the exact thing for John Wall in that scenario at the end of Game 6, guarded by Avery Bradley, a guy who is a 26% three-point shooter on pull-up threes, decides with the season on the line against probably the best on-ball defender in the Eastern Conference. You know what? This is a good decision. I'll take the pull-up three. It's a stupid shot. 
But that's why people are gamers. You want those, and we're going to quib, uh, sorry, we're going to crib something from LeVar Ball here. But if you want to be a big baller, that's where you are. If you're John Wall, you take that shot. Just like two possessions prior, Avery Bradley took the shot. Just like the previous possession, Al Horford took the shot. Those guys are big-time players, and they came up big when it mattered most. At the end of Game 6, John Wall, a statistically stupid, stupid shot, knocks it down. Wins that game for the Washington Wizards. But then in Game 7, after the Boston Celtics bench had scored all of five total points in Game 6. What happens in Game 7? Kelly Olynyk comes off of the bench, and by the end of the first quarter, Olynyk already had five points, and it was how he was getting it done. He got a bucket with a couple minutes left, and then at the very end of the first quarter, Brad Stevens called for Olynyk and Isaiah Thomas to run a two-man game on what was... Uh, Looked like it was going to be a dribble handoff from Olenek to Thomas. Um, Jan Mahimi was out on the floor for the Wizards guarding Olenek. And so Olenek has the action towards the right wing, does his little hesitation dribble where it looks like he is going to hand the ball off to Isaiah Thomas, but blows right through it. A play that many Celtics fans have seen throughout this season because his awkwardness is fantastic. He turns the corner, drives on Mahimi, and gets the bucket and the foul. So he gets his third, fourth, and fifth points of the first quarter, equaling the output for the Celtics bench in the prior game. So really that last possession of the first quarter kind of told everybody in Boston, in Washington, anybody that had a vested interest in that game, this was going to be a completely different game for the Celtics bench and, most notably, for Kelly Olynyk. So he has the five points at the end of the first quarter, and things are going great. It's a good battle. The second quarter really devolved into uh, Celtics would score a bucket, and the Wizards would get bailed out by a stupid foul call. Most notably, Marcus Smart got called for a couple of really ghost fouls. There was one on a handoff. I think he was guarding Beal. Uh, Smart strips Bradley Beal, and they call a foul. No replay showed Smart making any contact with Beal, but they call a loose ball foul on Marcus Smart. The same thing happens at the very end of the second quarter. At the end of the first half, he plays great defense. There's a ghost foul where Smart literally, and they showed a replay on this one, literally did not touch anybody on the shot. And they call the foul on Smart. He then tries to drive with a couple of seconds at the very end of the first half. He gets body blocked, and there's no foul. So mm, things aren't so hot. Uh, the game looks like it's not going the way the Celtics want. They might not be shooting that well. In fact, if you go all the way back to game six, from the first quarter of game six until halftime of game seven, it was six straight quarters where the Celtics couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. This was not a good shooting performance at all from the Celtics. But what they were doing is that they were being very aggressive. They were cutting a lot to the hoop. Even guys that tend to shy away from that type of action when things aren't going well, i.e. your Jay Crowder, even your Jalen Brown and Avery Bradley, although Bradley definitely isn't a guy that shies away from the backdoor cuts. And 
for John Wall, a guy that is supposedly a plus defender in the NBA. He got beat on backdoor cuts, it seemed like, multiple times in every single game of the series, which is why I think the discussion between Isaiah Thomas and John Wall as to which one had a better series is absolutely just <laughs> just so stupid. Okay, Wall won game six for the Wizards. Okay, Isaiah Thomas supposedly had a bad game in game seven, 29 points and 12 assists. And oh yeah, he scored 53 points in game two. Isaiah Thomas was the best player on the floor for either team. What a when a player is so good that 29 points seems like a bad night for him and he dishes out 12 assists while only committing two turnovers, okay, yeah, he's the best player on the floor. Think about going back to game six. Game six, Isaiah Thomas, yes, he committed the turnover that really turned the tide in the final 100 seconds of play, but the Celtics went up by five on two shots by Isaiah Thomas. So you have to take the bad with the good when it comes to him. And while you remember all of his turnovers, it's kind of like a bad beat in poker, right? You remember all of your bad beats. Well, with Isaiah Thomas, you remember all of his turnovers. The reason you remember all of his turnovers is because he doesn't commit a lot of turnovers. He had the awful one that led to the Bradley Beal three. Um, at the end of game six, which made it a two-point game when the Celtics had possession less than 100 seconds to go, up by five. You absolutely cannot turn the ball over in that scenario. But here's the thing. Game seven comes along, and you remember the really bad turnover by Thomas when he just kind of went into the body of Markeith Morris for no reason that I could discern. Uh, Turns it over, two points the other way, for the Washington Wizards. But... He committed all of two turnovers in the entirety of Game 7, including none in the second half. Isaiah Thomas was so good, 12 assists, after a very kind of indecisive first half. What do you want? As we talked about with John Wall being a big baller, being a gamer, at the end of Game 6, well, Isaiah Thomas comes up and pours in the 29 points in Game 7, turns everything around, doesn't commit a single turnover, when it mattered most in Game 7, and when it comes to John Wall, the guy that everybody on TNT and ESPN were going out of their way to compliment and say that, oh, Isaiah Thomas was completely outplayed by John Wall. Well, I didn't quite hear everything that they were talking about at the final 19 minutes of Game 7 for John Wall, i.e. the final seven minutes of the third quarter and the entire fourth quarter. You want to know John Wall's stats during that oh-so-pivotal time in an elimination game? John Wall, in his final 19 minutes in Game 7, a total of zero. That is Z-E-R-O, nothing, nada, zilch, ethos, because I speak Hebrew. Zero points for John Wall in his final 19 minutes. He went 0 for 11 from the field. And this is what the really important part is for me. 0 for 7 from three-point land. So John Wall, a guy that knocked down the big three at the end of game six to win the game, For the Washington Wizards, I think, and please don't confuse this because it's kind of a little bit of a weird phrasing, but one of the worst things that could have happened going forward 
for John Wall was the fact that he knocked down a pull-up three at the end of game six. Obviously, the fact that he knocked down the three to win game six was huge for the Washington Wizards. If he doesn't hit that shot, it is season over for the Wizards. But here's the thing. It gave him way too much confidence in game seven to come up shooting threes. Because Wall is a guy who on, in the regular season, 23 points, a little bit less than 11 assists, a field goal percentage of 45%, but from three-point land, not a good three-point shooter. In his career, just above 32% at 32.1. This season, a 32.7 three-point shooter. In other words, he's not a good three-point shooter at all, and it's not really all that close. I'm like, no, not. But what happened? He knocks down the three-pointer at the end of game six, and then he gets three-point happy in game seven. His legs probably left him, and you really can't blame him for that. But what you have to do as a player is realize that your legs are leaving you and then drive to the hoop. This is a guy that gets a lot of calls, especially at home. And while it was on the road against the Celtics, you have to drive more. But instead of driving, he was settling throughout the entirety of the final 19 minutes against the Celtics. 0 for 11 from the field, 0 for 7 from three-point land. In other words, in the final 19 minutes of the game of the season for John Wall, he took just four shots inside of the three-point line. And that's not a good thing at all for the Wizards because John Wall is, again, a 32.7% three-point shooter. And he played exactly like that. Now, Kelly Olynyk had the best game. He pulls out the ultimate P.J. Brown game with the 26 points in 28 minutes. Only four misses, all of those from three-point land, despite still knocking down a pair, right? He also has five rebounds and four assists, and he committed just one turnover. And that was really the thing. I believe it was the final 15 minutes of Game 7, the Celtics didn't turn the ball over. This is a team that really is one of the best in the NBA at keeping and taking care of the ball. They only turned the ball over as a team eight times throughout the whole game. And when the Celtics are not being careless with the ball, magically, the Celtics are an incredibly difficult team to beat. You have Isaiah Thomas with 29 points and 12 assists, as I mentioned, on just the two turnovers, and really turned things around after being very indecisive in the first half. But while Kelly Olynyk poured in an amazing 26 points in 28 minutes, he wasn't the only guy that stepped up on the bench. Give credit where credit is due. I always like to say that. I say give blame where blame is due. But you know who needs a ton of credit in Game 7? Brad Stevens. Because his bench was Kelly Olenek, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and four minutes of Terry Rozier. Nine guys for the Celtics played in the Game 7. And you had a rookie and Jalen Brown really step things up. And another guy, Marcus Smart, who's only been in the NBA for a couple of seasons. And both of them, along with Olenek, and maybe they were following Olenek's lead in the game, but they were all fantastic. Marcus Smart 
and rightfully so, gets derided for his inability to really hit anything. But what's he do? In Game 7, knocks down a bunch of key threes. Jalen Brown comes in, knocks down the first shot he takes, and then after, he knocks down an open three-pointer from the corner, which is his shot. He drives and draws a foul. But that's the first half of the game for Brown. What I thought really, and why Brad Stevens needs to get a ton of credit for his coaching in that game seven is the Celtics were having a ton of problems in the third quarter. Almost impossibly so. The Celtics came out flat, just flatter than a pancake in the third quarter. They were down 70 to 64 after about five minutes of play. So Stevens, sensing that the Celtics needed somebody to jumpstart him, turns to Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. Because if there is anything that Marcus Smart brings. It is energy. He will give you whatever energy you are looking for. Marcus Smart will come onto the floor, and he'll be the energizer bunny, and he'll jump around. He'll grab rebounds. He has no, and I mean absolutely no, business coming down with. He'll take a charge. He'll make a steal. He always does those little things that end up, and Greeny from Barstool Sports again called it out at the beginning of the season. I think this goes all the way back to last season, but he said of Marcus Smart, all he does is make winning plays because that's what he does. He's not a guy that's going to show up in the box score at the end of the game, and you're going to think, if you watch the game live, man, I thought Marcus Smart did a lot more than this, but that's because so many of the things he does and so many of the things he does well are honestly those intangibles that do not show up in the box score. So Stevens turns the smart with the Celtics down 70 to 64. Uh, there's a couple of back-to-back possessions and smart knocks down a big three to uh, cut the deficit. It was 72 to 67 when smart knocks down the three. And all of a sudden as a Celtics fan, you're thinking this might be a pretty good end to game seven because if Marcus smart is knocking down threes, everything is going pretty well. Well, Then the Celtics get a stop, and Smart throws an absolutely horrific alley-oop pass to Jalen Brown. But Brown, because he is more athletic than I thought humans were capable of, especially at 6'7", 225 pounds, Smart throws an awful alley-oop that forces Brown to jump under the hoop, catch it, and go with a reverse off of the backboard alley-oop. And of course, Brown makes it, cuts the game 72-72, to Uh, Both teams end up throwing haymakers to one another with uh, Isaiah Thomas hitting a three, Bradley Beal hitting an answer three, and then Isaiah Thomas hitting an answer to the answer three to make it 82 to 79. And then Marcus Smart was the guy that ended the scoring in the third quarter, knocking down his second three of the frame and giving the Celtics a much-needed six-point cushion heading into the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, they took care of business. It was just a game where every single person that wore a Celtics uniform contributed to the game. None more, though, than Kelly Olynyk. So you get Smart and Brown really kind of saving the Celtics' bacon in the third quarter. Olynyk ends up scoring 26 points. 14 of those, though, came in the fourth quarter alone. Brown's the guy that opened up the scoring in the fourth quarter to... 
put the Celtics up by eight. Uh, Jay Crowder would get a bucket to make it a 10-point game. Then the Celtics would immediately uh, allow one of their stupid, quick um, mini runs to the Wizards, which made a game of it yet again. But the Celtics bench, which scored a total of five points in game six down in D.C., Olenek scores 14 points in the fourth quarter alone. If he wasn't scoring, he was dishing it off. He had a couple assists in that fourth quarter. It was Olenek and Isaiah Thomas really working a two-man game, drawing out whomever was uh, guarding Olenek because the Cavaliers just simply don't have a five that could stick with them. So Stevens went small. And Olenek had the best game of his life because the Celtics, who kept responding to the Washington Wizards, just everything that the Washington Wizards were doing, Brad Stevens was responding to that. Instead, though, in Game 7, it was Brad Stevens forcing the issue of Scott Brooks and the Washington Wizards. Stevens went... Here, try to guard Kelly Olynyk. We're going to put him in the high pick and roll, and we know that you can't guard him. So Olynyk does his thing. Thomas finds him wide open in the corner with 3.26 to go when it was 107 to 100. Olynyk buries the three, makes it 110 to 100, and that was really the final dagger. As the Washington Wizards, they had nothing left after that shot by Kelly Olynyk. And you have to really tip your cap to Greeny, to Stuhl Greeny there. As he called the P.J. Brown-Kelly Olynyk game 21 hours before the start of action. And it was just amazing because you thought and knew, if you had seen and watched enough of this Celtics team, that the bench was going to show up when it mattered most. And it wasn't going to be just one guy. It was going to be the collective. It was going to be Olenek. It was going to be Marcus Smart. And it was going to be Jalen Brown. And sure enough, Jalen Brown. And sure enough, in the best game, sorry, not best, but in the most important game of the Celtics season to that point in time, the bench absolutely showed up. And they did everything that Brad Stevens and the rest of the Celtics faithful could have asked from them. It was great. Smart knocks down a couple of threes. Jalen Brown does his thing. Kelly Olynyk scores 26 points. All right. It's going to be a quick little kind of preview, and I'll give you guys my insane theory as to how the Celtics should play LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But before we move on to that last point, I need to make one other point because I heard a bunch of it at the trade deadline and couldn't stand it. That is in regards to Marcus Smart. Okay, if you watched Game 7 and you still think that the Celtics should trade Marcus Smart, you need to go to the hospital and get your head checked. Do not trade Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is on the same trajectory right now that Avery Bradley is. The guy, in other words, that was the best player on the court in games five and six, the most important player on the court as the Celtics took care of the Chicago Bulls in round one. That's what Marcus Smart is doing. He can fix his shooting. He is getting better every single year. And the hardest stuff 
for guys to do, i.e. play defense, no rotations, be a facilitator. Marcus Smart can already do that. And if you just stay patient, this Celtics team is going to be a dynamo for the next decade. Okay, yes, awesome, wonderful. The Celtics have the number one pick in the 2017 draft. That is something that I never thought possible until, of course, Danny Ainge made the big trade with the Brooklyn Nets. But the team that they have right now is in the Eastern Conference Final. It is only one piece away. That is how far away the Boston Celtics are right now. And it is not a piece that they need to acquire by getting rid of somebody like a Marcus Smart. No, you can pick it up in the draft, or you can trade that number one pick and pick up whomever you want. But do not trade Marcus Smart. And there are two plays more than any other that stand out when you talk about Marcus Smart. The first is at the end of the first half when the Celtics turn the ball over and there's a fast break the other way. Uh, Bradley Beal, no, it was John Wall, I believe, is going up and he does a beautiful pass to Otto Porter. Porter goes up for the layup, but from behind, Marcus Smart chases it down and looks like he jumps off of a freaking pogo stick and swats away the Beal attempt, then as the ball is lying there motionless on the ground, he dives like a rattlesnake, corrals the ball, Markeith Morris jumps on him, and Marcus Smart draws the foul. That is something only a handful of guys in the NBA can do, right? So there's one instance where Marcus Smart is almost in a tier of his own. The chase down block, LeBron James can do that, I believe, Draymond Green can do it. Kawhi Leonard definitely can. But there's also Marcus Smart because he is one of the few guys in the NBA who will not give up on a play like that. And then the other one was later in the third quarter where it was 74 to 72 and Marcus Smart is the only man back when John Wall is in transition. And John Wall in transition is one of the scariest people in the NBA. It is simple. The guy looks like he has, he looks like Sonic the Hedgehog when he has the ball in his possession and there's nobody in front of him. But to Marcus Smart, mm -mm, does not matter. Wall tries to protect the ball with his left hand, go up with the right, but Smart reaches in with his right hand against John Wall, who looks like he was shot out of a cannon, and yet Marcus Smart is able to get his hand on the ball, rack it away, and while it remained Wizards' ball, the next play was an inbounds pass to Bradley Beal, who was lighting the Celtics on fire, but smart, able to work his way around a screen, bothers the shot by Beal. Beal misses the shot, and the Celtics, what could have been a five-point swing, the Celtics end up scoring the next time down, and it's all thanks to Marcus Smart and his hustle. People don't understand that hustling is a skill and it is a skill that Marcus Smart has in abundance and one that you really can't teach in the NBA and that is really why I love watching this Celtics team it's because there are a bunch of guys that almost never give up it was why the game five in Washington make that excuse me the game four in Washington was so painful to watch because as a team the Boston Celtics gave up, and that is something that is absolutely beneath them. All right, 
so that's enough on the Washington Wizards, and we only have a couple of minutes left. But this last point won't take too long, okay? So, the Boston Celtics are going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and of course, LeBron James is waiting, and he is the destroyer of worlds, and more than likely, the Boston Celtics are going to get spanked by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, here's the thing. In my opinion, and in the opinion of everybody else, LeBron James is at his best when he is being the LeBron James point guard, a position that really only Magic Johnson has been able to hold down as uh, the type of size that LeBron James has, and he's able to pass and facilitate, do all that other stuff, okay? Well, here's the thing. When LeBron James is at his best, when he's doing twenty, when he's coming up with twenty-seven points and nine rebounds and eight assists, like he's doing this postseason, that's when he's at his best. My theory, and I know it's a crazy one, let LeBron James score 50, 55, 60 points, shut down everybody else, make LeBron James score all the points for the Cavaliers. And I'm being about 75% serious. Tire him out. Make him be the guy that propels the Cavaliers beyond the Celtics. Let him beat you. Don't let Kyrie Irving beat you. Don't let Kevin Love beat you. And for the love of all that's holy, don't let J.R. Smith beat you. Make LeBron James do everything and then shut down everybody else. I want to see just how good LeBron is. I really do. I want to see if he has to score 55 points a game, if he can do it. All right, folks, there's my crazy theory. The Celtics and the Cavaliers, game one on Wednesday. And that will do it for us here from the state of New England. Have yourselves a great day, and as always, yo, New England. Sit on back.